Nehemiah chapter 3, and we'll read from verse 14. Nehemiah 3 and 14. This is a, this is a real difficult message. It's, it, it, it's, it's, it, it's, it's difficult in its um, subject matter, you know, what it's called. And uh, so, you know, just hang in there. It, it's the Word of God. It's one of those things that we have to address. And uh, as we get into it, you know, just try to keep your uh, composure and we'll see what the Lord has in store for us because it is the Word of God. Nehemiah 3.14, the Bible says, But the dung gate repaired Malchiah, the son of Rechab, the ruler of the part of Beth Hakurim. He built it and set up the doors thereof and the locks thereof and the bars thereof. So, Lord, helping us this morning, we are going to preach on the dung gate, the dung gate. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for the privilege of being in your house. Thank you, Lord, for everything that's been accomplished thus far. Uh, Lord, the missions presentation, the song service, Lord, the offering, God, we we thank you, Lord, that our, our little church here can have such a, a great impact in another country, Lord, in building another church and so swiftly. I pray that, Father, that God, you'd just continue to bless them as you continue to bless us. We pray that, Lord, as we elaborate on this message here this morning, that, God, you'd help help me, Lord, to present it in a way that is understood so that, Father, we can understand exactly what you expect out of our lives as Christians. Lord, like always, for everything that you do, Lord, we'll give you the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. In Psalm 87, verse 1 and 2, the Bible says, His foundation is in His holy mountains. The Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than the dwellings of Jacob. You know, we've been doing this series on the, the 12 gates and uh, of Jerusalem. Zion is a synonym for Jerusalem. But it says the Lord loves the gates of Zion, the gates of, of Jerusalem. As we've been learning about these gates in the book of Nehemiah, I trust that you're catching on and understanding the symbolism that each gate represents in the life of a Christian, because that's exactly what this whole series is about, touching on different aspects of our, of our walk with Christ. And I, I, I think it's beautiful. It's the anatomy of a, of a Christian. And, uh, the first gate that we studied thus far was the sheep gate, which represents a person's salvation, accepting the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins. Uh, that's the sheep went in for the, the temple service. That's where they were offered on the altar. Their blood was shed. It wasn't for the taking away of their sins because the blood of goats and bulls and sheep, it couldn't do that. Uh, it just appeased God for the moment. But it, it's a type of Jesus. You know, the Bible says that he was the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. And so Jesus gave his heart, he gave his life uh, as a sacrifice for the sins of mankind. And so now, when we appropriate the blood of Christ upon our life by accepting him as our Savior, confessing our sins, our sins are dealt with permanently. They're forgiven and they're forgotten. You see, in the Old Testament, they were just shelved. They were just shelved. But when Jesus came, that finished the work that all the Old Testament people went through, through the sacrifices. See, one thing people don't understand, 
when, when people died in the Old Testament that believed in the ceremonial laws and the sacrificial system and things like that, when they died, they went down to a place called paradise. It was, it was a nice place, and, but that's where they went. And, but they hoped, they knew that someday out in the future that a Redeemer, a Messiah would come. Uh, and so they, they, they lived for that, even though they had to go through it in such a, 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 a different manner than what, what we do. But they looked for Jesus coming, and they did what God told them to do in offering the sacrifices, and God was satisfied with what they were doing, so they went to paradise when they died. Well, fast forward, Jesus came on the scene, and uh, you and I, we accept him because Hebrews tells us that uh, his sacrifice is once and for all. It, it, it's greater than any animal. It's greater than anything all combined in the Old Testament. And so once we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, amen, our sins uh, are, are taken away. They're forgotten. But, but, but here's what's interesting about it. When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that before he ascended, he first descended. And so he went down into paradise and he's seen all those Old Testament saints down there. That's what the Bible says. Matter of fact, I, I believe it's Matthew's gospel says that when Jesus was leading them out, he let a bunch of them walk, about 300 or so, 500. He let walk through the streets of Jerusalem. Can you imagine walking through Jerusalem? <laughs> Whoa, check it out. There's Moses, you know, and, and, uh, and Noah and, and, and so on. But he let, he let, he let a bunch of them walk through the streets of Jerusalem. And uh, so, you know, his dying is what brought them out of paradise. And, you know, the, the benefit that you and I have, I, I, I've, you know, 2,000 plus years later, I gave my life to the Lord. I have just as much faith looking back to what Jesus did as the Old Testament people had that same degree of faith looking forward to Jesus. And so it's beautiful. It's a beautiful concept when you, when you really stop and think about it. So that's what the sheep gate represents. The fish gate represents our excitement and desire to tell others that I gave my life to Christ. I gave my life to Jesus, and, and, uh, and I'm, I'm just a new person in, in him. It, it, it also speaks of evangelism, you know, just telling others about uh, what Christ has done in your life. The third gate, the old gate, represents... The old foundational truths that are still applicable uh, in 2022. Some things just never change, folks. There's some principles uh, in the Bible that are that are uh, set in stone, and they just never ever change. Uh, it's it's kind of difficult uh, preaching that today when when everybody's looking for something new. And in all reality, the Solomon said in all of his wisdom, "There's nothing new under the sun," and uh, so we don't want to get truths. You know, salvation is still in Christ. Godly living is still a, 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 a fruit of, of being saved and, and just trying to be the best that you can be for the community around you and for the people that you rub, rub uh, shoulders from day to day or elbows. So the old gate uh, represents the old things that are foundational, they're concrete, they're, they're, they're fast, and they are unmovable. Fourthly, the valley gate. Now, this was hard. This was a difficult one. Uh, the valley gate represents um, the, the fact that uh, our lives are predominantly in the flatlands. You know, we don't live up on the mountains. You know, down through the years, I've, I've had my horse up in the mountains. I've been in some pretty high places. Peter and I have, and uh, we've, the, the, the kids, we've all been up there and and, uh, and, and rode up into some of them saddles and fished and so on, camped out. There's nothing like being up on the mountains. It's, it's, it's a good time, but we always had to come home. Where was home? Down in the flatlands, down in the valleys. And so, you know, that's where we live the majority of our life, in, in, in the valley. I mean, nothing grows up on a mountain. You know, I mean, you get up so high and even the trees don't grow anymore. It's just, you know, it's just kind of desolate up there. But down here in the valleys, where all the good soil's at, that's where we plant our crops. That's where we uh, uh, build our homes. That's where uh, commerce, you know, marketing, everything is, is, is accomplished in the valleys. But 
in the valleys, you know, is where the storms come to, the, the, the winds and uh, the microbursts, the tornadoes and all these things, they come down in the valleys. And, you know, in the valley, you know, it is what it is. Life is not easy. It's just not. It, it, it's just not. I wish I could lie to you and say that it is, but it's not. I, I just can't do that. Um, life is, is hard sometimes. It, it, you know, it's hard for a sinner. The, the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard and rough. But when you give your life to Christ, it, in some regards, it's, it's even more difficult because there's a contrast now. And, uh, you know, but, but it is what it is. But one of the, the things that really disturbed me in my study uh, of the valley gate, the valley gate, when you open this gate in the walls of around Jerusalem, there's a big valley. It just, it just went straight down. It was called the Hinnom Valley. And that valley has a, a, a horrible, horrible history. That's where children were sacrificed to idols, infants, toddlers. Thousands and thousands and thousands of them were taken down into that, that Hinnom Valley through the valley gate, and their mom and dads offered them to Molech. They put, him, put their children in a hot, mol, uh, a hot molten iron uh, statue and alive, and they would let those children burn and burn and burn. The ashes of those children, we're talking thousands of them, for years, for centuries, even before Israel ever became a nation. That's what was going on in the land. That's why God wanted Israel to come out and go against those things, those abominations, killing kids. It was just the devil's way of getting in the face of God once again. And so, you know, it's a horrible thing. That's where the... the the carcasses and the, 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 the garbage and the refuse and so on, you know, that, that's where it all went. It went through the, the valley gate down into the Hinnom Valley. It was, a, it was the, the dump of the city, but it was the, the and, 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 and it was the dump for little kids that were killed and murdered and so on. It's horrible. It's, it's horrible. Matter of fact, when you look up in your dictionary the word hinnom, ben hinnom, in Hebrew and in Greek, it, it, it is Gehenna, and Jesus re refers to it as hell. It's hell. If you want to go to hell, go visit Hinnom, the valley of Hinnom, to this very day. Uh, very few people go down into the bottom of it. It's just a horrible, horrible place. So that's where, that's where we're at thus far. And before we can, you know, get too positive here, we have to cover one more gate, and it's called the dung gate. And the first mention made of dung in, is in connection with the sacrificial rites. You know, the, the, the laws in the, in the Old Testament demanded, it was required, it was ceremonial that whenever you offered up an animal, the, the dung some parts of, you know, the, the hide and other, other parts had to be taken outside of the, the camp, outside of, uh, uh, and be burned. It could not be a part of the ceremonial worship or anything like that. Uh, you know, mainly it was outside of the tabernacle. You know, when they came out of Egypt land, they, they didn't have a church, but they had a tent, a tabernacle. And God said, uh, you know, my presence is going to be with you. Uh, in this tabernacle, and they had to go through all these animal sacrifices, but the dung had to be taken outside of the camp, and it had to be dealt with there, burned, or, or how, whatever they did. That also happened, uh, you know, outside of the temple. Uh, the, the dung gate is the oldest gate in the walls that is still used today, not for its purpose intended, but they they widened it. It was a very narrow gate uh, back in the day, but um, when uh, the Arabs took over the city there for a while, they widened it. You can drive cars through there, buses, and so on. Um, you know that's. It, but it's a very 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 busy gate today for tourists and so on. 
The Dungate is situated near the southeast corner of the Old City, southwest of the Temple Mount. The ignominous word dung refers to the original Hebrew name Shire Hashpat, which is a more discreet and translate literally as the gates of garbage or the Ashpot gate. When the first Jewish temple was still in place, all the garbage and ash from sacrifices were flung out through this gate into the Valley of Hinnom to be burned. So if you get a visual of this, you know, you have the, the, the Valley gate and, and, and down further from the Valley gate uh, was the Dung gate and they, and they all emptied into the same valley. Uh, it was uh, it was disgusting. It 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 really it really is. Uh, it's interesting, and in, you know when you think of dung, of course, it, it's a very base subject to talk about. But uh, in Ezekiel chapter four, and I'm not going to turn there because I think it's nauseating. <laughs> but um, uh, it was used for fuel. It is commonly known that the dung of animals is is a common fuel throughout Palestine and Syria, where other fuel is scarce. During the summer, villagers gather the manure of their cattle, horses, or camels, mix it with straw, and make it into cakes and dry it uh, for the use of fuel for cooking, especially in the winter when wood or charcoal or straw is not procurable. It burns slowly like peat moss and meets the needs of the kitchen. Now, as I was reading this, you know, the, the, the history of, uh, of these things, it's fascinating. But I thought, well, let's, let me just do a, a search and see if this is still a common practice of today. And so the, the, the most recent information that I have is from five years ago, 2017, actually almost four years because it was in December that this article by the UN was published. Around the world, an unthinkable number of people still depend on animal dung as a fuel to cook with. Over 15 million people in India alone use dung to cook with. That's more than the population of New York City and London combined. The, the emissions from cooking with fuels like dung um, are linked to more than 2.6 million premature deaths each year and cause deadly chronic and acute health effects such as child pneumonia, cancer, cataracts, and heart disease. The, uh, you know, I, I read also that they're, they're trying to outlaw it in, in India, that you can't use dung anymore, but the market people say that uh, nobody buys anything. <laughs> And, and I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'll just tell you like it is. The, it puts off an aroma that people get used to, and they know that when dung is being used, that's going to be good flavor for the meat, uh, the things that they buy that are cooked. And so wherever they smell that, that's where they know they can get good food, uh, good tasting food. But now that they've taken, you know, they're trying to take away the dung, people don't go to that place and buy it. They look for the little maverick places you know, uh, uh, where it's still being used and that's where they buy their food and things like that. Matter of fact, I even read where the Taj Mahal, you know, the elite uh, temple in, in India has changed color. It's literally uh, uh, stained because of all the manure smoke uh, over the years that, it, it, that, that is in the air from people cooking uh, with manure. And so, you know, and, and I mean, you know, we, we, we live here in, in the United States and we, we would never think of anything like that. And, and it's just hard to imagine. But you see, history goes back a long way. I mean, people have done strange things for, uh, for a while. When, when we lived in Sierra Leone, I don't, I, there was a, a group of people, a tribe, they were called the Fula tribe, and they were nomads. They just traveled around with their cattle. And uh, as they traveled, uh, if, they, if they got into a, a grassland where they could be for a while, you know, maybe months or something like that, they would build little uh, huts. And those huts were made out of dung and straw from the cattle that, that they were pushing and so on. 
but that's about the only experience we we've ever had uh, uh, with them. Um, the word dung is also used in scripture to convey ideas such as worthlessness, an expression of uh, for something disgusting. Dung was used in describing a rebuke to someone. There's quite a distance to this gate from the valley gate. From uh, I've, I've read from different sources that, uh, and I didn't think it was anything big, but when I looked at, at an outline or a schematic of the walls of Jerusalem and where all the gates were, like we handed out uh, you know, in the beginning, uh, all the gates were somewhat close together. But when you got down, when you got down to the valley gate, which was down here, it was 1,500 to 1,700 feet around the tip at the bottom to the dung gate. And so there, there was a lot of distance there. Um, and what some have said is, unfortunately, some of the experiences that we have in our valleys and the hardships of life, they, they linger sometimes and, uh, and, and we carry them for a long time. And God never intended, now listen to me, God never intended for you and I uh, uh, to, to carry our burdens for a, a long period of time. He never intended for that. He knows what some of the things that we go through that are horrible, horrible uh, that, that, that people go through. But as a Christian, we can find uh, a victory. We, we can find rest. We can find uh, you know, so, you know, uh, some uh, refuge uh, uh, from these from these things, horrible things that happen to us in life. The scars may always be there, but we're called to be victorious in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. We're not to walk around with our with our head down and so on, uh, regardless of what happens in life. And I and I know some people's had a lot of things happen worse than than what I ever had, but still, still. God is powerful enough to, to help you and I to be victorious in every area of our, of our life. Amen. The, the, the result that, um, uh, that it, the experience of this is clearly seen in this gate, the dung gate. This is the gate where they would take, it was like, the city dump where you, all the refuse from Jerusalem, the garbage, anything, it went down to this gate uh, and uh, it was burned in the Valley of Hinnom. I don't know if you remember, but when we commented on the Valley of Hinnom where they burnt kids and things like that, they, they said it was a perpetual fire. That's why they called it, Jesus called it the uh, hell, Gehane, uh himself when he referred to it. Uh, the fires just never went out. The maggots, everything stayed there all the time. Um, the valley gate and the dung gate once again emptied into the same valley. The dung gate may have been the, the potsherd gate of Jeremiah 1 and 2, or 19, 1 and 2, where the Lord says, Thus saith the Lord, Go and get the potter's earthen bottle, and take of the ancients of the people and the ancients of the priest, and go forth into the valley of the of the son of Hinnom, once again, Hinnom Valley, Gehana, which is hell, which is by the entry of the east gate and proclaim there the words that I shall tell thee. So the, that, you know, and, and you stop and think about it, you know, when it comes to pottery and making pottery, when it's been fired and, and uh, you know, brought through the kiln and whatnot, if it's broke, they, they dis discard it, you know, they throw it away, it breaks and so on. And so what, a, what an appropriate place for it to go. Uh, and uh, because it was no no more of use. So with all that being said, let's get into some spiritual application here this morning. Now, just hang on, hang on, because there is a spiritual application. In every gate that we're talking about in the walls of Jerusalem has a spiritual application. The Dungate's spiritual meaning is that of sin, which smells bad and destroys our heart and our mind, that it must be put away by the dying of the flesh. As we live this life of faith, we must face concrete issues, which we must put away from our heart. 
I don't know about you, but, you know, I, before I got saved, I mean, some of the things in life, and, and, and folks, when I was growing up, life wasn't like it is today. It wasn't as complex as, as it is today. We didn't have the technology that, that is there today. We didn't have internet. None of that was, was available. And, uh, but, but in, in, in my mind, the way that I grew up, of course, I, not growing up in church, but I still had a good mom and dad, but, you know, the, the pressures of, to do certain things were always there, just like they are today. But today, they're, they're just a little bit more complicated or a lot more complicated. The, the, the key to this gate for the Christian, and I emphasize this over and over and over again in, in, in preaching and teaching, the, the, the key for this gate is 1 John 1, 9. Or let, let's read verse John 1, 8. If we say that we have no sin, now see, the dung gate represents dealing with sin. But if we say that we have no sin, John says we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I don't know about you folks, but I am not a perfect individual. If you are, then that, that's, you're, you're in a different league than I am. And we'll talk after service at the altar. But, um, you know, repentance has always been the key to Christianity. Keeping your life up to power with God through Christ is repentance. When you do something wrong, repent of it. Don't just, well, I'm a Christian. I got saved so many years ago and all my sins are dealt with. No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. That's abusing the grace of God. But as you do wrong, as you commit a sin, you know, the, the Holy Ghost is going to tell you, you shouldn't have, not, you shouldn't have done that or you shouldn't be doing that. And, and you, 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 you put your hand to something and you go, wow, I shouldn't be doing that. And, but you do it anyway. Still repent. You need to repent. That's what, that's what this verse is all about. That's what this, this whole gate, this whole concept is all about. Repentance. If the valley experiences we go through do not lead us into repentance, the valley experiences that we go through then are wasted and we are not cleansed as we move forward. The, the, the more you walk through life void of repentance, and I'm talking to Christians here, the more unclean you become. Repentance is a part of our daily life. Amen. Once again, Jesus said, in, in, uh, when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, he said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That was a syllabus. That was an outline on how we are to pray. God, forgive me for what I've done. Forgive me for my attitude. Forgive me for my resentment. Forgive me for looking into something that I shouldn't have been looking at. You know, that, that's what it's all about. It's not like you're a hardcore sinner. That, that's not the point. Or if you are a hardcore sinner, you, you, can, you still utilize that. It doesn't matter how, how far out you are or how, how insignificant it may seem. You need to keep your life pure before God. Amen. And then if you read that in, in the, the disciples' prayer, and is a conjunction, and lead us not into temptation. In other words, if you don't deal with forgiveness, If you don't have an ability to forgive others for what they've done to you, then you're going to be led into temptation. Temptation is going to get a hold of you. And after temptation is what? And delivers from evil. And so, you know, it, it, it's really beautiful. The whole structure that, that the Lord has laid out for you to, to maintain our salvation is rock solid if we'll just listen to him and live it. Amen. During the valley experiences, 
You know, when you're down in the dumps and it just seems like nothing's going right for you, ask the Lord to reveal things to you that you need to repent of and seriously come before him and repent and be cleansed. Because without that, you do not advance to the next gate. You just don't. You just simply don't. You know, whenever I go through a difficult trial, one of the first things that I've done, and I've done this all just about all through my 40 years of serving the Lord, when something goes wrong, I always get before him and I say, God, what did I do wrong? Because I know that I'm, I'm fallible. I'm a finite being. I'm human. One, one of the things that always, and, and, and let me just go out on this a little bit. I remember when Debbie and I were in Bible college, there, the Apollo or the, the space shuttle went up and it blew up. And those seven astronauts were killed. And through all the investigation of why that space shuttle blew up was some little O-rings made by Morton Thicol. Some little O-rings that let nitrogen, liquid nitrogen seep through one of the boosters or something like that, and the thing blew up. But said all that to say this, as brilliant as man is in, in sending a multi-billion dollar ship into, the, into outer space, it's still man that made it. And whenever man has his hands to something, there's always the chance of error. With man, there's always error. And so that's what, when, when something goes wrong, I always just say, Lord, what did I do? Is, is there something going on in me? Did I miss something? God, help me. Uh, help, help me to see through this, what I'm going through right now. And, and, and if he says, yeah, Mike, you shouldn't have done this. Well, Lord, I am so sorry. Forgive me for that. And then I keep moving forward. But if he says, well, I, you know, if, if there's no answer, if nothing's gone wrong, amen, then I just navigate through it. But I always look at myself first to see what, where I'm in error because I'm not a perfect man. I'm not a perfect man at all. We read in 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. There cannot be real blessings if this is forgotten. Dealing with this part of our Christian walk, folks, is so critical. Amen. Let me, let me just... get a little bit more plain with you. You know, dealing with this part of the, the human anatomy, the human anatomy's natural process of cleansing itself is, is rather shameful to say the least. You know, we, we deal with this part of our lives with, with the most private methods that we can make available. We have restrooms. We have all these facilities that, that, assure us privacy and so on. But the bottom line is this. This is something that you and I live with. Speaking of our anatomy, the physical anatomy, it's, it's something that you and I live with from the moment we are born until the very moment we die. It's something that, it's a part of life. It just is a part of your life. The disgusting elements of sin is also one of the most repulsive aspects of our life here on the planet. That's why the dung gate is symbolic of, of sin, dealing with sin, because it's repulsive. It costs God, his son, his life, that you and I could live, amen, and deal with this part. We deal with the filthiness of sin from the moment we are born until we give our life to Christ. And even after you give your life to Christ, amen, you still deal with the filthiness of sin. But the key to having Christ is I no longer navigate through it in my own power, but I have his strength. 
Amen. He's the one that helps me navigate through these, these difficult parts in my life. Amen. The, the, the society that we live in, the godlessness that, that we see every day and it's becoming more godless and, and every, every day that we live, but it's his power. Amen. That's in me because I gave my life to him, turned my life over to him. He enables me. Praise God to live a, a victorious life. Amen. And amen. You know, there's there's a a word that um, a doctrinal word. We it's called sanctification, the doctrine of sanctification. In the Old Testament, there were certain vessels used in the functions of the tabernacle and the temple. You know, like there was the cup, there was the menorah, the candlestick. There there were so many different things. The the, the, the tongs that they used to handle the bread and the, the coals and all these things. There were so many different vessels that, that were used, but they just didn't make them and then start using, using them. But those, those, those vessels or those instruments, when, when, uh, Bezalel and Oliab would, would, would make them, fashion them, they, they, they were beautiful. A lot of times they were gold and so on, but they would give them to the high priest and the high priest would go over and he'd do a ceremonial cleansing on them. It's called sanctification. Sanctification means that these vessels here, these utensils, can only be used for the service of God. It was set apart. You couldn't use, take them home, stick them in your back pocket and use it on the grill tonight. No, they were set aside for a specific uh, task inside the temple. Amen. In short, sanctification is something or someone that has been uh, set apart for God's use. Now, sanctification and salvation go hand in hand. The, you, you cannot have one without the, the other. When you give your life to Christ, now I, I'm going to give you a very, very simple understanding of, of salvation here doctrinally. When you give your, your life to Christ, you, you become justified. And we all know what justification is, just as if I've never sinned. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done in life. It, it, it doesn't matter to me. But what does matter to me is when you get come up here to this altar or wherever you find a place to pray and repent of your sin to the best of your abilities, the Bible says that you've been justified. When God looks down upon your life after you've said, Lord, I'm sorry, God, forgive me for all of my sin, forgive me all for all the horrible things that I've done, he looks down at you as if you've never sinned. That's doctrine, amen, that's sound doctrine, you've been justified. Amen. But your platform, the foundation that you've been justified or justified on is sanctification. In other words, when you give your life to Christ, and this is where people just lose it, okay? This is where theologically people don't understand it. When you come up here and give your life to Christ or in your home, wherever, wherever, wherever it happened, the, the fact of the matter, it just needs to happen. But I like to use the altar for, for an example. But, but, but once you give your life to the Lord, you just, and you, you, you ask him to forgive you for your sins and to cleanse you with his blood and so on, and you accept his sacrifice and all these things, and you, and you've been saved, you don't get up and walk out the door and go back to doing the old things that you used to do. Because technically, when you gave your life to him, what happens to you? You enter into the body of Christ. And when you enter into the body of Christ, you've been set apart. You've, you've stepped into something new. So you're sanctified. Are you with me here this morning? It's not that hard to figure out. Amen. You get justified. You give your life to him just as though you've never sinned. You're a sanctified person now. Amen. In the, in the sight of God. Amen. So even after you give your life to Christ, you'll discover once you walk out those doors there that it takes time. It takes a lifetime to get the clutter out of our lives. It just takes a long time, folks. Some people think it ought to happen the moment you pray. It doesn't work that way. It didn't work that way with me. 
I had things that I had to deal with, folks, that, oh, I wish I could share them with you, but I don't want to because of the age limit here. But <laughs> there's things I had to deal with, you know, after I got saved. And, 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 and those things that I were dealing with, I want you to know if I would have died, I would have went straight to heaven, man. I was so saved. Why? Because I was justified. And now I got up and God's working on my Metzger. Woo, glory be to God. Amen. And amen. God loves you and I so much that he makes an allowance for our failures in grace. We live in grace. In other words, the sanctification that you got when you became a Christian becomes progressive sanctification. I like to use this word. It stretches wherever you go. Amen. It has elasticity. Amen. It just doesn't shake off. God follows you. Amen. And he helps you navigate through your new life as a Christian. He helps you to, to, to get over these things that would, would, would hold you back. You know, th th this is exciting. Let me give you a couple of verses here. In John 17, 17, uh, 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 Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So, Hearing the word of God, reading the word of God has a sanctifying effect on your life. Because, oh, man, he's saying that. And, you know, did the pastor, honey, did you talk to him and tell him I was doing this? Huh? No, she didn't talk to me. It's called the word of God getting hold of you with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, then you need to deal with it. In Ephesians 5, 26, that he might sanctify set apart, and cleanse it with the washing of the water of the word. The context of that is husbands, love your wives. Wife. <laughs> love your wife, singular. <laughs> is Jesus loves the church. Amen. Our wife, my wife, is to be submissive to me. And she does a very wonderful job at that. But I love her. I love her. I was downstairs praying this morning and Debbie was down there doing some things in the oven and I was in the basement there and I seen you walk up them steps and I said, God, that's the woman I love. Going up them steps. Yeah, I say that about my wife. You don't know what goes on in my mind when, when I watch you walk by me. She still ignites me. Amen. Because I love her. Amen. Amen. Oh, that was good. That wasn't even in my notes. Praise the Lord. Hebrews 13, 12 says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. In other words, Jesus went through the gate and gave himself on Golgotha. Amen. And, and died and was crucified. It uses that terminology. He went through the gate. Amen. Uh, and gave his life. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, And the very peace of God and the very God of peace sanctify you holy. That's not H-O-L-Y. It's W-H-O-L-L-Y. Sanctify holy. Now, this is what you've got to understand. I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This, these people that say, well, God just looks on the heart. He knows what I'm doing inside here. And it doesn't say that in Scripture. Amen. What God does is he says salvation is for the whole man inside and out. Amen. Your, 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 your whole being becomes uh, 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 separated unto him. Praise God. Once you give your life to Christ, you become justified and sanctified. That sanctification follows you for the rest of your life so that you do remain justified. Amen. And let, let me just throw this in. I wrote this down. I wanted to read it. But, but I, I, I passed over it. This is one of my favorite verses regarding the, the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians, there's two epistles written to the church at Corinth by the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians, the first book, chapter 1 and verse 2, Paul says, Unto the church of God which is at Corinth. So he's saying unto the church there at Sun Valley. He's addressing the, unto the church of God. They weren't in the process or any, he says unto the church of God, 
which is at Corinth. To them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Now, let me back up here. If you knew the history of the Corinthian church, (laughs) was it a perfect church? Man, they had immorality in that church like nobody's business. I mean, there was incest going on in that church. It's addressed. You can read it for yourself. They were offering things to idols and all this, but it was the church of God. They were being sanctified. They were growing in their relationship with the Lord. Some people would disagree with me on that, but I don't care. Sanctification goes with you. It helps you to become better, a better person than what you are. The dung gate represents our need for constant cleansing. Through this gate, was taken the rubbish and the garbage that accumulates within one's home. We all know the purpose of the trash can. I can't stand a dirty trash can. Now that's oxymoronic, isn't it? I often, I'm the only one in our house unless somebody wants to correct me. Okay. I'm the only one in our house that when I, I'll pull the trash can, you know, People will fill that trash can up until it, that you can't get the lid on it anymore. And when they can't get the lid on it anymore, they just squish it down, squish it down. And, and then when you take the lid off, ugh, look at all that rubbish on the bottom of the lid. I'm the one that takes the lid and I put it in the sink and I wash it. I can't stand a dirty lid. I just can't. And, uh, but, but anyway, one of the first chores that you learn when you're a kid growing up, Take the trash out, son. You know, do I have to? It stinks, you know, and all this stuff, you know, and especially when you get into pampers. Of course, they have their own trash can outside, and that's Abby's problem. Uh, but, but, but anyway, you know, taking rubbish out, folks, is it, it, it's not a pleasant task. Amen. It's simply not. Here last week, I had to go to the Missoula landfill. That is so disgusting. I went there to dump some. I had a trailer full of shingles that that we had taken off of a roof. And I went there to the dump. And the water wagon was spraying water all over for the dust to be going down. It was so sloppy that I had to put my truck in four-wheel drive to back it up. And then I opened my door and I looked at that ground and I thought, you've got to walk in that. It was so disgusting. Every step I took, I grew an extra inch. And I thought, oh, oh, I've got to clean my shoes off before I get in my clean truck. And my tires went from that big around to that big around. And, and you know, and I was trying to creep out of there so that the mud didn't fling all over my, my mirrors and my, and, and the, you know, my, my fender wells, the hips on my, my one ton and so on. And, my, and I just went straight to the car wash and I washed off. It was so repulsive, you know, going to a dump. It, you know, with all that water on there, it was terrible. And the stench, it was, it was, oh, it was horrible. Do you get the picture? Are you, are, are you with me here this morning? Amen. Hoarders. I mean, you know what a hoarder is. You know, it's, you know uh, street people, the way they live. I mean, they, they, have, they, they take trash and they covet it like it's treasure. I've seen videos and, and, and pictures of California, how it is underneath the bridges now. And, and I mean, it is a dump. It's a dump. The dung gate is the most convenient. Now listen to this. The dung gate is the most convenient of the old city's gates for visiting the western wall. The wailing wall. Isn't that a paradox? The valley gate. You come down. The dung gate. You come in and right there's the wailing wall. So understanding the typology of this gate will bring you closer to God. Isn't it neat, the, the picturesque speech that's in this? 
When you understand how these the rotation of these gates and the experience that we as Christians have, when you go through the valley gate, you you, you live in the valleys, things are not always bright and chipper, amen, and, and, and then we got to go to the dung gate and we got to deal with the sin and the garbage in our lives that keep dogging us down. But when we deal with that, amen, we're so close to the presence of God. Things begin to turn around. Amen. Because you're dealing with all the refuse. Amen. This gate was critical, even if it sounded a little nasty. But you see, folks, you need to see the the filthiness of sin. You need to understand it. That's what this is symbolic of, sin. It's a waste. It's like dung. And we need to get rid of it. We need to dispose of it. In closing here, uh, in a little bit, every time I say in closing, I go on. So I'll just say in a little bit. You know, the Apostle Paul, he knew how to use this gate. He had everything in life that he could muster up for having confidence as a religious man. The Bible says in Philippians 3, verse 4 through 9, though I might have also confidence in the flesh, if any man, he's speaking of himself, if any man thinketh that he hath whereof that he might trust in his flesh, thinking of his own personal uh, achievements, I more circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, it was me. Touching the, the, the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. But what things were gained to me, he says, all those achievements, my degrees, my pedigree, all these things that, 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 I, that I received, he says, I count them as loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them as dung that I may win Christ. He got the point. Amen. If you don't have the dung gate in your life, now listen to me, you're in bad shape because all the refuse in your life is accumulating and it will make you smell and stink in the sight of God and others around you. And if the gate's broken down, then it's just about time that you need to just start fixing it. Start using it again. I mean, I'm not telling you anything that you don't. I, I've been around people, folks. I've been around people that can swear worse than a, than a sailor. I mean, I've been around people that, I mean, use the most vulgar, repulsive words that, that shouldn't be in our vocabulary. They're, they're not in mine. When they start off like that, I'll say, you know, I'm a pastor. You know what they, they say? Well, I'm a Christian too. Really? 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 Well, there you go judging me. No, you don't get it. You don't understand. And let me just comment on that. Let me get on my soapbox here just for a little bit. People say you can't judge. and so Yes, we're called to be judge and judge righteously. Just don't tell somebody not to cuss if you're cussing yourself. Get the beam out of your own eye first and then get the beam out of theirs. The only, the only way that we can tell what, that, that we're Christians, folks, is what? By the fruit that we bear. If I'm bearing fruit by cussing a lot, then that doesn't show that I'm a Christian. I've got to tell you that I'm a Christian. I ought to be able to live my life around you without saying a word. And you know, hey, that guy's different. There's a lot in this Dungate, isn't there? One of the reasons... People are unable to function as God wants is because they seldom use the dung gate. They do not deal with their secret sins, with the private corruption that goes on in their own lives. Many believers choose to hang onto the trash instead of carrying it out to the curb. One writer put it this way, that they insist on keeping bitterness, resentment, 
and other offenses in the living room of their soul while the outside appearance, what the world sees, is maintained with great care. Now, I, Hannah, come to the piano. I'm, I'm done in a little bit. It's interesting to note that when Nehemiah went up to in the night to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, as we heard last week, he, he took a site tour first. He, he did, did, did it under nightfall. And he, he went through the valley gate. And then he traveled to the dung gate to inspect the broken down walls and the burned gates. But when he tried to travel to the fountain gate, he couldn't do it because the rubbish was too his beast couldn't get through his donkey. What was the next gate? The fountain gate. He just couldn't get it for the rubbish. Just couldn't get it. You know, folks, if we only knew that we could get rid of some things in our lives that you know are bad, God knows they're bad. Just dealing with it. There's just, there's water on the other side. What is it that you're clinging to that is unholy? Scripture calls it dung. In the natural realm, it's repulsive. But in the spiritual realm, it's also repulsive. That's why God draws this comparison. It's just bad. Maybe you need a dose of sanctification in your life. As I said, I believe in progressive sanctification. I believe you get sanctified when you get saved. But when you get up, it's progressive. But I believe along that way, that, that life. And I'll give you a personal experience. To my shame. There came a time, you know, I used to be an angry man. I was angry. Just angry. But there came a day when Christiana and I, when we went toe to toe and I yelled at her, I gave her a piece of my mind and she slammed out the door and God spoke to me and said, you just lost your daughter because of your anger. I fell on my face and I begged God. I fasted and I prayed. And God took that away from me, sanctified that. I went several years where I didn't get angry. And then I, there's times I've been frustrated and a little frazzled, but I just don't get angry anymore. The temptation has been there. So there are things in our lives where we can come to God and say, Lord, I need this out of my life permanently. Forever. He can do it. He can do it. Let's all stand. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for this lesson on the dung gate. If there was ever Christianity 101, Lord, it's this gate here. <laughs> and just living the life, trying to live the life. Lord, I'm not here to beat anybody down. You know that. And Lord, I'm just here to let them know that they got to deal with stuff in their lives. They just got to deal with it. If they want to go forward, they got to deal with it. It's just the way it is. We got to get this stuff out of our lives. And some things are will be tomorrow or next week or next year or in years down the road, but there's some things we could deal with right now. We could deal with it right now. 
So, Father, I just come to a close with my presentation. It's all in your hands, Lord. I hope that I've given you something to work with in the lives of each and every one here. And, Lord, these are the best people, Lord, in my estimation right now, Lord, on the planet, God, because they're here. They listened intently. So, Father, move and help them, Lord, with whatever area in their life they're dealing with in Jesus' name. And we'll give you the glory and praise. The altar's open this morning. You're welcome to come and pray for a little bit. Love you, folks. God bless you.